0: So, like I said, uh, we are going to talk about money this morning. We're continuing our series, The Bible Doesn't Say That. Um, Has anybody else been enjoying this series? This has been very practical and real. Um, In fact, I found myself this week thinking about, man, I I don't need to judge that person. I judge a lot of people when I'm in the airport. People watch a lot in the airport, and I'm judging people the whole time. So I was reminded that from that last week when we looked at that passage, do not judge, and... uh, uh, I found myself thinking about that. So me, even as the pastor, the guy preparing these sermons and kind of preaching them, I'm, I'm kind of taking this in as we go as well, in, in a sense, preaching them to myself. Um, but we are going to continue our series, The Bible Doesn't Say That. And to kind of get us back to the why, um kind of the, why we're doing this series why we're looking at these phrases and and kind of coming back to God's word uh, first and foremost when when we inaccurately summarize or misquote or even kind of insert our own christian catchphrases we quickly miss the depth that God's God's word has sometimes when we when we use these quotes and they're not all bad and they have a scripture background but if we just stick to those We miss the depth that God's word has for us. So uh, last week I used the example of an iceberg. You just see the top of the ice sticking out of the water, and we miss everything underneath the water. So when we stick to these phrases, we kind of cheapen his word, and we miss the deeper riches that are found in God's word. So that's why we're kind of doing this. And and kind of the goals that that I want to, to get at with this is I hope that you've been challenged a little bit. Sometimes it's good to get our toes stepped on a little bit, uh, but, but at the same time, I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to feel like uh, just you're, you're having a pity party and you're like, man, I can't ever do any of this right. I think overwhelmingly, here's, here's what I want you to get from this series. Overwhelmingly, the biggest thing is that though these things seem difficult, it's, it seems hard to maybe start getting these right, like the do not judge, the way that scripture talks about it, even though that seems like insurmountable, there is hope that we can start getting these things right. That's what the gospel's about. That when we look at God's word, when we look at those hard truths and it starts pushing in our heart and it challenges us, the gospel is about the fact that we can start getting those right. So I'm hoping your toes get stepped on a little bit, but then you most of all have hope that as you draw closer to Christ, you're going to grow in some of these areas. At the same time, uh, I want us to dive into the depths of God's word. So we've been doing that to spend more time in God's word. And I want you to be uh, challenged on a personal level to be hungry and excited for God's word. So when we're looking at kind of that cheap plastic sayings, but we're pushed to the depths of God's word and you're excited and hungry for the way that he might speak to you to see the wealth that God's word has for your life. And at the same time, if and when you don't understand something that you read out of God's word, pray for his guidance. And most of all, to apply what we see in God's word. So even though it's just this series, I want you to to take a look at all of scripture. This is kind of a celebration of God's word. And I want you to be driven to really apply it to your life, to read it, to, to take it in and to apply it. And practically speaking, if, if you want to know where to start, just get a Bible that you like to read and then simply start reading it. Spend some time in God's Word. That's part of why we have the Bibles and we want to get those in your hands. If you don't have a Bible, we want one in your hands. And so more than just on Sunday morning, this is a celebration of God's Word. And, and we're looking at these phrases instead of just kind of taking these appetizers of, of, of scriptural so-called sayings that you're actually pushing into God's Word. So get a Bible and read. We're going to move on, and we're going to kind of take a unique look. We're going to, in this whole series, we've done uh, sermons that have looked at maybe one phrase each. And we've looked at some that are definitely not in Scripture. And we looked at others that are actually in Scripture but misquoted or or misconstrued somehow. But this morning's a little bit unique, uh, and I have a treat for you. Instead of just one idea, we're going to look at two of these phrases. So you get a two-for-one. Anybody do any Black Friday shopping? Hey, there's still some Black Friday shopping deals going on. I'm looking at this, like, Dr- DeWalt drill set right now. I'm going to go back and check it out. But we're, this morning, we're going to get a two-for-one. This is your Black Friday deal of a sermon. You're going to get two-for-one. Uh, I thought of that right on the fly there. Um, So we're going to get two for one this morning. We're going to look at two sayings that are actually two sides of the same coin. And that subject, like I said, is money. No pun intended. So there's two sides to the same coin. Our first saying this morning is money is the root of all evil. You maybe heard that before. Someone might have told you. Money is the root of all evil. And the second saying, the other side of the coin this morning, is that faith results in financial blessings. So, on one hand, you're hearing uh, money is the root of all evil. And on the other hand, you're going to hear, well, if you're just, if you have enough faith, you're going to be financially blessed. God's going to bless you financially. Here's the problem with these two sayings these two sayings are both extremes when it comes to money. Like, one says you should never be concerned about money, that you should never spend any time around money because it's the root of all evil. But on the other hand, it tells us that, that some people tell us that, that, well, God will make you rich if you just believe enough. So as we've been doing, we're going to look at God's word and we're going to see actually what the Bible says this morning. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6. First Timothy 6, it's in your program. We're going to look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. I'll give you just a minute to get there. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. So I'll start reading there in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And then verse 10, the, the, the one we all know, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So by way of just a little bit of background, Paul is writing to a young man. Uh, this young man is named Timothy, and he's kind of an up-and-coming church leader kind of an aspiring pastor and Paul's writing this letter so we've looked at several of Paul's letters and he's usually writing to a church well he's writing to an individual named Timothy here a young man and and Paul is talking to him at this part of the the, the letter he's writing he's talking to him about the motives behind his work he's talking to him about about what drives him or what shouldn't drive him to do his his, word. his His main point to Timothy is that the false teachers equate money as the only measure of success. The way Paul is telling him, the false teachers are going to say money is the way to measure your success. But Paul warns him that mere religion, now Timothy's planning on being a pastor, working on being a pastor, mere religion does not equal prestige or profit. And at the same time, that faith is not a reason to wallow in the misery of being poor. So he's kind of talking about, in a way, these false teachers on both sides of the coin. I think the, the idea we're getting, and, and I say it often, and I say it often because it's perhaps the greatest truth in God's word. Paul is challenging Timothy to change his thought process about his motives and money and work because the gospel is changes everything. I continue to repeat that because that is one of the most important things, one of the most important truths in God's word is that the gospel changes everything. Our work, our success, our happiness no longer has to be tied just to money. The way that we see ourselves getting ahead in life is no longer tied to money. The gospel has changed our thought and process to that. For Timothy, Paul is saying that, the, the, that it has, it, his heart has been changed when it comes to money. And that's where we're at in this passage. So let's look at our phrases again. Money is the root of all evil. You heard that in verse 10 or something similar to that in verse 10. And if you just believe, you will receive. When we're looking at those two things, we find our first truth from the passage this morning. The gospel shows us how to be content with what we have. The way that the gospel changes things is the gospel shows us how to be content with what we have. That's your first point if you're following along in your program this morning. But let's look at verse 6. Again, verse six, Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul is telling us that the true purpose and peace are found in godliness, that our purpose and peace in life, the reason for life is found in godliness, when we kind of dig into this we see that the soul was cr- not created to find contentment in the cu- accumulation of stuff. Paul is making that distinction he's saying the, the reason for life isn't for you to find happiness and all your meaning in just the accumulation of stuff. Your contentment is found in godliness. When I started thinking about this I was thinking about uh, some Christmas presents when I get, got when I was a kid. And so, like, I think when we start, when we do Black Friday, we kind of kick off the Christmas season officially. Unless you're one of those weird people that puts up a tree in, like, the first of November. But I kind of feel like we're now officially into the Christmas season. I was thinking back when I was a kid. I remember uh, when I was a kid, I got this, this, this really cool toy called Criss Cross Crash. And it was this motorized thing. And I, th- I think I've used this in a sermon illustration before, but it was awesome. And you would take your matchbox cars, and it made this big, like, uh, clover-shaped loop of, of, of a track, and it was motorized so it would shoot the cars. And it was the coolest gift that I've ever gotten. So, you know, I woke up in the, on Christmas morning, ran down there, and saw that gift, and, 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 and I played for it for all of about... Ten minutes, probably. Okay, maybe a little bit more. And I got it out like a month later. But before long, I, rem- I even remember my mom had this, uh, this like, legal document box that I used to store it in. And before long, that thing was on the top shelf gathering dust. I loved that thing. I loved crisscross crash. In fact, if I had it today, I'd probably pull it back out again and play, for it, play with it for a little while. And then it'd go back on the shelf. But that newness wore off. And inevitably the next year as Christmas rolled around, there was something new, better, greater, something else that I wanted, and I quickly forgot about that game crisscross crash. It's funny how we look at some of the stuff like this and, and we seem satisfied at, at whatever age I was, six, seven, eight years old, and I got crisscross crash, my identity was like almost like that's my the best thing I've got is my crisscross crash. But that newness quickly wore off. And I was hungry for more and I needed the next bigger thing or the electronics that were coming along or, or whatever it was. I needed something else to kind of fill that place as, as the game collected dust on the top shelf. Well, When I think about this, the, that gift was never meant to make me happy. That gift was never meant to be kind of my identity. And there's not a lot of an identity you have at like seven or eight years old. But that gift, that game, crisscross trash, was never meant to be my contentment and there's a reason for this that that's what paul is getting at when godliness is our aim not the things that we have so so when godliness is our aim not not our possessions when we go after godliness contentment is actually obtainable you'll never be content in just your stuff you'll never be totally fulfilled in just your stuff but when we seek godliness, we can grab that contentment, that we can, we can have that in who we are. In a nutshell, Paul is saying that external circumstances should not influence our contentment. The things outside us should not influence our contentment. But utter reliance on God reminds us to be content no matter the circumstances. Like when the video was talking about this, relying on God reminds us that we can be content no matter what happens. No matter what we have, no matter what we possess, whether that crisscross crashes, collecting dust or not, we can still be content if we rely on God. I love how Philippians 4, 12 and 13, this is another misquoted verse all the time. But Paul, again, is talking about contentment in verse Philippians 4, 12 and 13. He says, I know what is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. A lot of times we like to use that verse and say, oh, you know, I'm trying to climb this mountain. I can do all things through Christ. No, what Paul is talking about is when it's good and when it's bad, I can be content because of what Christ has done for me, what Christ has given me. So to apply this just a little bit to, to, to push it into our lives, if you seek godliness, if you seek Christ-likeness, contentment will not be far off. You can start getting a hold of that contentment. And what it means is to be, start, start taking on the nature of Christ. When you follow Christ and you allow him to start working in your life and, and he starts changing your heart and the things that you're doing, you become more like him. And that reliance on who he is allows us to start holding on to contentment. At the core of this, I think, is the difference between happiness and contentment. Have you ever thought through what the difference might be? That there's actually a difference between being happy and being content, and and then being happy is not bad. In fact, we're encouraged to be happy. But the word happy comes from a Norse word, hap, which means luck or chance. Think of happy-go-lucky. happy go lucky Hap, hap is the Norse word, meaning luck or chance. In this, in this sense, while it's not bad, it's fleeting. It comes and goes. You ever feel like your happiness stays around all the time? Mine sure doesn't. You know, if, when I got to clean up a a, a puke that, that Grayson has puked all over the place, my happiness is not there. So we don't live in happiness all the time. And there's times we are happy. Man, when I was eating a plate full of turkey and and mashed potatoes and you know man I was happy but that's fleeting it goes it leaves that's what we get from the idea of happiness whereas contentment comes from a latin word contento go figure meaning satisfied thus when we look at contentment versus happiness contentment is a deeply seated feeling of satisfaction like it's it's deep and rooted To put that into biblical terms, there's a deep satisfaction to know that we are deeply loved and treasured by our God. He wants relationship with us. And there's satisfaction in that. So when we trust and rely on him, that's when we can start finding that contentment. He'll take care of us. And our souls were created to do that. Here's another way to look at it. Say, say I was up here with a hundred dollar bill. Anybody, would anybody take a hundred dollar bill? I should have came with a hundred dollar bill, but I can't afford to like give that out. But, but a hundred dollar bill is certainly going to make me happy. There's some things like, again, I'm looking at those Black Friday specials, like man, hundred bucks would get me a lot right now, right? It's probably the best day to spend hundred bucks or, or maybe you're a saver. But there is no doubt that a $100 bill, man, there's just that feeling. again. Man, It makes me happy. Or a stack of $100 bills. Anybody ever had a stack? I've never had a stack. It's always been in the bank. But a stack of $100 bills will certainly make you happy. But at the same time, we know that our financial situation is liable to change. Have you one day had a stack of hundreds, and then a week later, you were in some kind of financial hardship? That you were struggling with something that 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 maybe it was a health issue or or an insurance issue or 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 just a disaster or something the 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 situation. Maybe you lost a job. One minute it's here and the next it's gone. That's the difference between happiness and contentment. We can be content even on the highs and even on the lows. On the other hand, God's love for us never changes. God loves us no matter what, and we find contentment when Christ is our treasure, that, that, that he is more than anything else that we, that we would want. That's when we find contentment. So to kind of summarize this first point, godliness or Christlikeness is knowing the truth and living like it makes a difference. Christlikeness or godliness is knowing the truth and living like it matters, reading God's word and knowing what God tells us and then allowing that to sink into our hearts and that will make a difference. Knowing, Knowing God's word, then living according to it. But as usual, Paul expounds on this. I love, he doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't just leave us there, but he continues on. If we look at the passage again, we can see where he starts to go with this. Let's start in verse six again. Of chapter six, but godliness with with contentment is great gain. And in verse seven, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So Paul goes on to share how we might practically start living this way, how we practically might start finding contentment. And if you're following along in your program, our second takeaway this morning is to find true contentment we must keep money in the right perspective. To find that real, true commitment, contentment, we must keep money in the right perspective. Here again, I think Paul, what I love is he, is he gets to the nitty-gritty practicalness of, of real-life things, the, the nitty-gritty practicalness that we find all over Scripture. In a way, Paul's saying, I didn't come into this world with a suit on and an Amazon account. He's saying you weren't born with a bunch of clothes on and, and, and an ability to go shopping or a catalog in your hand. You didn't bring those things. We just had Lila. She had nothing when she came into this world. Stark naked. That's what Paul's saying. You didn't come into this world with any, anything. In the same way, we don't take any of that when we leave. So we don't come with anything and we don't leave with anything. In a way, when we're looking at this, this is what makes greed impractical. This is what makes it so, so crazy to be greedy. You're not going to take any of that stuff with you when you go. It's crazy. Paul's, Paul's making the point that, 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 that we have neither. We have n- nothing at either of those. I think for us to understand this, to kind of make, make his point a little bit more, he uses two examples. In verse 8, he first refers to food. He uses the example to, to represent health and progress. When he's talking about food, for us, we can think of it as an example of health and progress. Because number one, you need food to be healthy, right? We need food. And there's nothing wrong with, in fact, I love food. I was just using that as another illustration. We need food to be healthy, to thrive, and to, 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 to feel good. At the same time, that food represents progress. It's an illustration to represent progress because uh, we've kind of missed it a little bit, but if you drive like south into, down into Three Forks, you see those wheat fields everywhere. The way that it used to be is everybody had to grow their own food or get it from somebody that did. In a way, we do that in a roundabout way through the grocery store, but his point is that not only do we have health with food, But that ability of progress, of of growing, and and having something to show for for your hard work. And and at the end of the day, you say, I accomplished something. So food represents our need for for health and progress. Then he moves on to talk about clothing. He uses clothing, not, not exactly specifically about clothing, but clothing represents our need for protection and shelter. So he's talking about our needs and the things that we really need and, and what we can f- find contentment with. See, when we, when we are in need, uh, the clothing represents uh, being safe and having that protection and being warm. And I, I love a jacket on a cold, cold morning. So he's using those two examples. He's, he's using food and he's using clothing to talk about health and progress and shelter and protection. He's saying with these things you have everything you need with health, with progress, of being able to look at the day and accomplish something with shelter and protection. You have everything you need. I love how one commentator puts it, Paul was not developing a philosophy that equates the material world with evil. He was not advocating a Christian culture that requires poverty. So this commentator's talking about both. He's not saying the material world is evil, and he's also not saying that that living as a Christian requires poverty. He was drawing a definite line between possessions and true contentment. The former has no bearing on the latter. The overall idea that, that, that Paul's pushing here is your possessions should have no, no bearing on your contentment. Your possessions shouldn't have a bearing on, on your true contentment. So I think for us, we must keep money in this perspective. The idea that that our possessions should not have a bearing on our contentment. We must keep money in its right perspective. I think this fact is central to this saying, faith results in financial blessings idea. Scripture never gives us the idea that if we just believe God, he will grant us every financial blessing. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, man, if you just believe, you're going to get everything you desire. That's not, what, that's not what it says. And that's not keeping money in the right perspective. However, there's still preachers out there today saying these type of things. Like, you'll just be blessed beyond measure if you just have enough faith. You know, if you believe, in God, believe God, you'll win the lottery tomorrow. I don't think that's Man, I believe a lot. I've never won the lottery. Right? You know, if, if you don't have a Cadillac, it's just because you don't have enough faith. That is absolutely absurd. That's a, I mean, imagine going to another country and telling them, you don't have a Cadillac because you don't believe enough. That's crazy. Absolutely insane. It's absurd. And it's un- unbiblical. The proper way to look at money is it's only a placeholder for our hard work. Money is a placeholder for our hard work. See, thousands of years ago, the way that we might do it is, is if I was good at fixing your plumbing and, 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 and you grew wheat, I would go fix your plumbing and you would trade me wheat. That's how you, we would trade work. You know, you worked hard for that wheat by the, the sweat of your brow, and I work hard as a plumber. I'm not a plumber. I mean, I can do it, but I'm not a plumber. But, but that's how we used to do it. Now we use money, and so kind of as a placeholder for hard work, we trade that money. And it kind of makes it a little more streamlined. And that's the way that God made it, that our hard work is how we gain things, how we get what we need, the, the, the things of health and shelter. God has made it that way. But first, we must place our trust and sufficiency in him. But then, second of all, we work hard to make much of the opportunities that we have been given. That's the proper view on Work and money. When I thought about this, I kind of thought about the parable of the talents. Anybody know the parable of the talents? Well, some talents were given to some, some, some men. And um, someday maybe I'll even preach on this passage. But the idea was that, that with the guy that was given the most talents, he went out and he doubled his talents. Like financial money, he doubled his money. Or the second guy that was given half as much, he still doubled his money. But there was the third guy that buried it in the ground, and did not double his money. And he went back to his master and he said, you wicked servant. You, you did not double your money like these other guys. That's what we're, when we look at our, uh, the, our ability to work and to accomplish something, that we work hard to take the blessings that God's given us to make much of, of the opportunities that are laid before us. And our money, our, our hope isn't in that money, but our, our hope is in what God provides, the blessings that God gives us. So to be practical with this kind of a rhetorical question, is your hope in, in your money or your job? Or do you trust, kind of like Paul talks about, no matter what, either good or bad, that God will provide. And that money's not the key to your contentment. Finally, Paul moves on to get to the most popular part of this passage, and it's probably the part that you've all heard before. It's the, kind of the, one of the phrases we're looking at. But look at verse 9 with me, and we'll finish up this part of the passage. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And again in verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager from eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. As I was thinking about this, I thought it was kind of funny how often this is quoted. You hear this pretty often, and, and, and people really trying to be pious or something like that. Money is the root of all evil. And also, I it, it's interesting, money is mentioned a lot in Scripture. It's no mystery what, what God really believes about. Money. The writers, not only Paul here to Timothy, but, but writers throughout Scripture know what a pitfall money can be. But I think what is most often overlooked in this phrase is one simple word. If you're looking at verse 10 again, and it's funny, I have it underlined and I have a box around this word. In verse 10 it says, for the love. That word love is, is overlooked every time that this is just thrown out there paul's point hangs on this simple word on one word paul's point is hanging on this and the saying the money money is the root of all evil falls apart without one word it holds no water without that one word So when we're looking at our other two points, when we're talking about finding contentment in what we already have, what we've been given, and in godliness, and and when we uh, look at keeping money in the right perspective, we can see our final point this morning. And if you're following along in your notes, our final point is money is not evil. The love of money leads to all kinds of evil. You can even see how Paul says that very thing. The love of money leads to all kinds of evil. In other words, not not all evil comes from money. We kind of get the idea when we throw that phrase out that, that everything evil comes from money somehow. Well, what Paul's really saying is not all evil comes from money, but lots of kinds of evil can come from money. I think to illustrate this a little bit, uh, we can kind of start thinking through this. It's not saying like, oh, if you have money, evil's just going to enter in. It's not saying that like money is this horrible thing we need to stay away from. But it's talking about this love of money. I, I thought of some examples. Think of a businessman that's trying to climb the corporate ladder. And he's spending every waking moment trying to, to gain that prestige and that, 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 that place of, of honor, of, 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 of making more money but he absolutely neglects his family. But that's when money becomes evil. Or think of, of, of the dreamer, who uh, is somewhat uh, familiar around parts of Montana, but the dreamer's thinking, man, I can make a fortune gambling. So they quit their job. They go down here to Lucky Lil's or pick a, pick a casino, and they start trying to gamble so that, that they can win all the money and be rich but they've quit their job. Before you know it, they're washed up wishing they still had their job. Or even think of a housewife that gets so focused on just buying furniture or maybe decorating the house and she over and over again keeps renewing everything in her house. But in the midst of wanting to buy all those things to make her house better and better and better, she neglects the people around her. She neglects her kids or doesn't think about sharing and giving to people in their community or other moms that might need help. Again, the furniture is not bad, but when that's consuming and that's what her contentment is found in, that's when she misses what money is for. That's when money becomes evil. I think Paul tells us that behind all of this, at its root, is when we love stuff more than we love god in a way he's describing materialism you've probably heard that word he's talking about what materialism is and i love this definition of materialism materialism is the desire to possess things instead of a love for the god who made those things materialism is a desire to possess things instead of a love for the god who made those things I think the problem with the statement that money is the root of all evil is that it is not at all what Paul wanted us to hear. He's not saying avoid money or or don't make a living or don't take care of your family. And, And he's not even saying don't do it well. He's saying do that well. You should take care of your family. You should work hard. And there's nothing wrong with advancing. I talk about all the time how I would love to be financially blessed later in life to in a sense be rich so that I can be generous. There's nothing wrong with with wanting to to work hard to make a good living. So Paul's not telling us that, that money is evil. Paul was not against the drive to accomplish things or even to have ambition. In fact, he was a tent maker. He helped pay his way. He was not writing to Timothy to tell him to be weary of making a difference in his job and in the world. He's not telling Timothy, hey, be careful about working too hard in your job. He's not saying that. He's talking about motives here. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about what we love. The Bible is clear as Christians, we need to be model employees or employers. It's not saying be lax. Don't be lazy. It's not telling us to stop working hard. It tells us that to rightly reflect God, we need to work hard, that we need to be ambitious, that we need to be a good example of, of the way that God wants us to work. But money should not be the driving force. Money should not be the only reason that we exist, that we work hard, that we try to advance, that we try to try to make our house better or bigger. Money or prestige or influence should not be our driving force. It should be the glory of God that drives us. And the glory of God looks like this. Sometimes we hear that, the glory of God. What does that mean? What does it look like? The glory of God is to love people, is to help with the mission of the church, and to be devoted to Christ. That's how we keep money in the right perspective. And we love the creator of all things, not money. So as I conclude this morning, there's a couple ways to respond. So always, you always read this, and you're kind of thinking, "Okay, what do I do? How do I? What is my response to God's word and the way that He's speaking to my into my life?" First of all, I think that Christ likeness might seem elusive for some of you this morning. You might say, "Well, man, I that I don't know about that Christ likeness. How do I do that?" The first step to Christ likeness is to follow Him. Is to follow Him they, to accept the truth. Of his gospel. And if we truly accept the gospel and we truly follow him, we start to live like it. Notice how I didn't say we're perfect overnight, but we start living like him. And he starts working in our hearts and growing us little by little. But second, the way that you, uh, a way that you can respond this morning is maybe you are a follower of Christ. Maybe you understand the gospel and, and Christ is already your everything. But maybe, like many of us, maybe you struggle to keep money in the right perspective. Maybe you're kind of holding that up as as something that's more important than it needs to be. Again, Paul's not telling us to make money bad or evil. It's important to work hard and and make a living, but but maybe you're holding it too high. As I said at the beginning of the message, there, there is hope. There's hope for us that that we can start to put those in the right order, that that the way that God's done things, we can put it in the right place. The gospel tells us that we can trust God and we can grow in that Christ-likeness. Maybe your challenge this morning is to kind of make that Philippians 4.13 your theme when it comes to money, not just trying to accomplish something, but, but your theme when it comes to money, that when you have little or you have a lot... That you can do all things through Christ. That you can find contentment whether you're, you're poor or rich. And that your drive, that your goal is Christ Jesus. So as we conclude this morning, I ask that everybody would just bow their heads and close their eyes.